Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, none of my family members have ever eaten each other. No. Mine have come close, but no. <laughs> I'm if you're listening, Mum, I'm sorry. <laughs> Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Hello friends and fans and welcome to Enthusiasm, the show where we talk about a few of our favourite things. I am your host Helen Gould, one of the best rusty quillers, and today we're talking about mythology. And I am awestruck to be joined by Becky, John, Liz and Munna. So we are, as always, going to introduce ourselves alphabetically. So beginning with Becky today. Uh, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hi, Helen. Thanks ever so much for having me on. I'm Becky Anderson. My pronouns are she, her, and I am one half of Black Armada Games, a, a games design outfit 
Um, and I've designed award-winning games, much to my shock, such as Lovecraft-esque and um, uh, When the Dark is Gone. They're very good games. Thank you. <laughs> um, next up, John. What do you do and what are your pronouns? Hello, Helen. Uh, yeah, I'm John. My pronouns are he, him. I am one half of Askew Productions. Uh, we work on horror and weird fiction, audio dramas, uh, some of which, uh, all of, both of which are Rusty Quilt Network shows. Our most recent one is The Silt Verses, and there should be a season two of it just around the corner. Ooh. I mean, by the time this comes out, it probably will have started. Um, but yes, very cool. Next up, Liz. What do you do and what are your pronouns? Hi. Yeah, so I'm Liz. Uh, I My pronouns are she, her. I was an editor on the Magnus Archives and uh, now I'm on special projects. And I kind of got given special projects when Alex just handed me this mop and said that I needed to uh, <laughs> to just do this sort of deep clean business and like really get... <laughs> get this understanding of, of part of the business that he thought that I just hadn't had a chance to get into yet. So um, so it's going well. Uh, you know, good, the smell good. of lemon is much stronger in my life than it used to be. Um, but, but, you know, I'm hoping for big things in the future. I'm sure you'll achieve them. Oh, thanks. Thanks. And Munna, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hello, I'm Munna. I'm she, her, and I'm the other half of Askew Productions, as John said. Um, we um, work on um, horror and uh, surrealist kind of fiction, audio drama. John didn't mention that he is actually the writer behind both I'm in SQ and The Silt Versus, <laughs> and I do the production behind it. And together we also uh, work on the Patreon and all sorts of extra bits. So essentially what that means, I'm the person who sort of kicks in the, the room next door where John writes and goes, no, no, you have to do all of this all over again. Uh, and, you know, in the middle of that, we uh, try and uh, stay married. Oh, well, that all seems to be going very well so far. And I'm extremely happy for you. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to we're going to talk about why mythology is interesting. First off, I would uh, people can jump in at any point. Um, but for me, like the bizarre and occasionally disgusting things that happen in various myths is a big is a big appeal because I'm like wow how did you come up with this would anyone like to tell me why you feel that mythology is interesting oh am I gonna have to pick on someone like a teacher <laughs> I, I've got a I've got a relevant bit but I'm way too polite so this has been the first time I'm gonna jump in like this um I completely agree with what you said, Helen. Uh, I got into mythology when I was very young. I My parents bought me a book of illustrated Greek myths. And it's one of those ah. books that you get your hands on, you open it, and you realise that your parents made a terrible mistake because it was in no way appropriate <laughs> for children. Um, you know, the, the first page was Kronos eating his children, and you go, oh, wow, yeah. this is a whole new world. Um <laughs> And, and with lots of uh, children's fiction, even when it gets very dark, uh, you know, I'd read a lot of Roald Dahl at that stage. It's still that mm. fairy tale darkness where there's an instructional element to it. There's some sense of justice. The villains normally get their comeuppance. The protagonists yeah. normally use pluck or uh, courage to win the day. Uh, and what really struck me about this book was how unjust, cruel, and arbitrary the stories often were. Mm. Like you say, it was it was almost the first horror fiction I ever consumed where it was trying to make sense of a universe where 
horrible things can happen to you when you may not deserve them. And that's mm. that's just the way it is. There's no moral. There's no lesson to learn from it. Sometimes you might just be turned into a spider because the god thinks you're too good at weaving. Yeah. 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 But... That's an interesting thing because there are also lots, for green mythologies particularly, there are lots of different versions of those because some of them have um, Ariadne, no, not Ariadne. Arachne. Arachne uh, being turned into a spider because she specifically boasted that she was better at weaving than Athena. And some of them have Athena just being jealous. And so I find that very interesting to look at as well. Mm. Yeah, so coming from New Zealand specifically, um, or growing up in New Zealand, um, you've got different mythology that you get exposed to as well when you're growing up. So, um, hmm. you know, the the um, Māori stories uh, of the creation of New Zealand and also the heroic kind of tales that are re- related to that. So um, we have Maui as well, um, who people are probably now more familiar with thanks to Moana coming out. Um, but the the creation, I, th- I think that idea of of having an understanding why a place that you're in is the way that it is, um, and having that very being quite specific to your area as well. It's interesting to me that that these things, even where cultures have mixed, you know, say more in Europe and Asia, they would have still kept very much their own story about how things were and how things are. And it, mm. it, it's got that sort of, that social cultural reason, reason, that social cultural reason behind it, as well as the, the religious background that almost all mythology is linked into. Um, so, so I really like that sense of that it, it grounded you in the place that was New Zealand. It was part of like how your identity is shaped is part of understanding that story and then, of course, um, because I have essentially British heritage, I used to also read into the Celtic myths. I quite liked reading into those because mm. it gives you that that other sense of like, well, what's this other landscape which is linked, you know, very specifically to me? So what? how did it think about itself and what were its heroes? So I used to really enjoy um, reading the Celtic mythology and as well as the mm. Māori uh, mythology as well. That's really interesting. I I really don't know much about Celtic mythology. I have a vague impression of giants at some point <laughs> yeah there's a uh, um... finn mccall which uh was I, I named one of my cats after finn mccall but it, it's such a great <laughs> name like finn mccall i mean come on <laughs> like... oh finn that's uh an irish he, uh fig- i think yeah. he goes across to um the scotland as well like i think the oh. is he not linked to the causeway like the giant's causeway is linked to that character mm. but you've got that crossover of the regions where you know even though it's ireland you've you've got those stories being mixed because they would have been talking to one another across the water so to speak that's so cool and giant's causeway is so cool i'd yeah. like to visit it someday. I, i'm probably completely wrong because i'm always completely wrong at least once in the show <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Let us know before we uh, release it and we'll just Never. edit that out. <laughs> um, well, I mean, one of the reasons why I have enjoyed mythology in the past is because I feel actually a mix of both what, um, what both John and, and Liz have just said, because I moved to Europe when I was younger. I'm, I'm from Somalia and, um, which is mm-hmm. in East Africa for those who don't know. And I'm, I initially started, um, getting into mythology because I actually really enjoyed Xena and Hercules. 
when I was younger. I don't know if anybody watched those TV shows. Oh, yes. And I would come home from school and I'd watch them and my mother would just wouldn't understand why I was watching these these shows. And so from there, I then wanted to study archaeology at university. Um, and I wasn't mm. necessarily interested in the excavating part, you know, just sort of being in deserts mm. and then brushing mm. at sand for hours. It was more about, you know, how do these myths come to come to be um, part of, of entire communities and cultures? And then when I started researching universities I realized they actually don't let you study that until PhD level and then I was like oh. well I obviously I can't do this so I just picked English literature instead but from for for me <laughs> one of the things that I've really enjoyed getting to know more of in the last few years is actually African and Somali mythology of which there are so many different stories because yeah so far all I've really all you really read about when you have British heritage and you grow up here are Roman really quite honestly Roman and Greek mythologies actually more than Celts really I don't really mm. remember Celtic or Gaelic uh, mythology studying that at school mm. unless you count certain bits of literature like Gawain and the Green Knight or Beowulf oh. um but it, or King Arthur maybe Oh, yeah. yes. And King Arthur. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's about it. You don't really um, study it in the way that you would study, you know, um, the Iliad or, or any of the, the other stories mm. that you end up studying a fair amount. And so it's been really exciting learning so much more about all these different cultures. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll dive to it, into it quite a bit more. But one of the things that I enjoy a lot about African culture um, and African mythology is more the fact that it isn't a single narrative so there isn't really mm. one narrative one story um that follows a person it's more about how mythology is part of um the land the earth the water it's very uh, nature centric mm. yeah that's interesting though because um like africa is the continent that's got the most countries on it yeah but all of, like m lots of those countries are sort of artificially imposed on the continent and so um oh i don't know how to articulate this i think it's something about how um various countries will share similar myths because people were like th those lines did not exist yeah until people came along and drew them on with a ruler yeah absolutely yeah and actually a lot of african cultures and i actually I caught myself almost there because I, I hate saying African cultures because obviously, you know, yes. a lot of different countries here being swept into mm. one word. But they, a lot of the countries are nomadic. And so people were traveling mm. back and forth between various tribes and lands and so on. And so you're right, it is, you know, that the different countries as we know them in the modern time, the reason why these countries share lots of similar myths um, is because there were no borders when these myths were, yeah. I guess, being pulled into society or when they were happening. Who knows? <laughs> um, Becky, what are your thoughts? I was just pulling my thoughts together as I was listening to everyone else's excellent contributions. And I was thinking <laughs> that one of the things that I loved about mythology when I first, as a child, um, it sort of came into my life was how different it was to the organised religions that I mm. 
mm. had experience of, which obviously as a white British mm. woman is not exhaustive, um, but in the sense that the gods that they talked to, the god god that they talked about in church was so very different from Zeus yes. and the Roman gods and the Norse gods and the Celtic gods. And the, the idea that the, the Greek gods were off having these petty squabbles and rivalries <laughs> and getting annoyed with each other in a really human way, but with god powers. I think I found mm. that absolutely relatable and compelling and and much more kind of eye-opening of culture and relationship with deity than the more formal religion that is the primary religion in the UK. Um, as I said, I can only really talk about church as opposed to other religions, um, but that the way that um, that the major organised religion of Christianity talks about deity, it's not the way that Zeus was bed hopping with every animal, <laughs> vegetable and mineral that he could get his hands on. And you didn't you don't have the jealous wife of Hera um, wreaking her revenge on relatively innocent humans and things like that. And it was a very it was a much more kind of visceral way of thinking about religion, but also much more relatable. Very human way. Mm, exactly. Yes. One of the interesting things about Greek mythology, I think, is that it doesn't it often doesn't te it doesn't try to impose a strict morality on on things mm. um it's not trying to say ah the gods are good mm. yes. it's um they they portray the gods doing like terrible things for like for a different reason often um to be like you shouldn't mock the gods because they will happily you up <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think specifically you know those greek and roman ones are very like very human because you know if you if you go to something mm. like um maybe hinduism where the gods have their own society and they have their own things going on but they're not they're just not jerks like most of the time <laughs> like, like as you say <laughs> zeus is just a massive jerk like he, he's he is at 100 you know like too much power white dude privilege <laughs> i think that's that line between religion and mythology becomes so deliciously blurred, doesn't it, at some mm. point? But at some point it feels like it's not blurred at all and there's a very clear delineation. Yeah. Well, I've always, you know, I had one of those um, silly revelations one day when I it occurred to me that I was seeing these things written down as like myths and legends from New Zealand and myths and legends of this. And then I'm like, these are creation stories and these are like, you know, I grew up, a little bit religious. So I grew up like with, um, uh, you know, Old Testament understanding of how the world was created. Not that I particularly believed it. And I don't think my, the rest of my family did. But um, you suddenly realize that that word is never imposed on the, on essentially the state religions. Like we never talk about the mm. mythology of um, Christianity, but there is one, right? Like every religion, the mythology is really just saying these are the stories which mm. particularly are probably not linked like like I'll I'll give um I'll give like things like Christianity and um, Islam a little bit of difference where you've got like say Jesus and um, Muhammad who who were essentially real people where you've got okay their stories maybe you wouldn't use the word mythology around them because they're linked more to historical events whereas like you might say gen you know like the Old Testament Genesis that would be like well. Yeah, that's 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 a mythology, right? It's a creation story, and that's like a hundred percent what 
um, every culture will have in some way something which explains why they're here and and what they're doing here. Um, and mm-hmm. and actually, even um, you know, I, I I grew up also reading a book which was fairy tales from around the world, and ah. I was busy thinking about that, thinking, well, some of those fairy tales are probably myths because the mm-hmm. ones that I'd read, which were you know African. Um, were ones of like the the spider is it Anansi Anansi and a few other characters and and I loved those I you know I I wasn't so keen on the European ones because the European ones were literally the fairy tales of like you know someone wants to be a prince or a princess does three tasks job (laughs) done right like they're they're very samey they you know it was a book where there was a lot of those very samey stories and then you got to other parts of the world and all of a sudden all the stories were very exciting because they were following quite different um, things. And I think that was because they were actually more myths rather than fairy tales. So, mm. What's the difference? I was, before I was, when I was preparing for this podcast and doing all my <laughs> homework and my research, so I could sound as clever as possible, mm. I was thinking, what, where do we draw the line between fairy tales, folklore, mythology? Mm. Mm. It's, it draws back to a lot of what we've been saying, I think, because other than the fact that mythology is in theory meant to go back to our origins and to be looking at the questions of how we came to be, there is a huge amount of snobbery around it. And that comes back to things like kids in the UK being taught that Greek and Roman uh, mythology, that's mythology with a capital M. But if we're talking about the Mm. story of how um, the devil tried to throw some rocks at a town and he missed, and that's why there's a huge hill there, that's (laughs) that's folklore. That's seen as something quite trivial and parochial and not worthy of study. Um, Mm. I I was looking through a a book I've got of um, Pan-African creation myths and the introduction by some very worthy academic was talking very loftily about how, uh, unlike mere folklore, which is just entertainment, mythology is these great questions (laughs) of who we are and what our cultures mean. Uh, And the very first creation Mm. myth was the story of a, a mythological hero uh, pinching baboons' bums to make them red, and that's the story of how the baboons' <laughs> bums came to be. And you go, it's it's ludicrous to be claiming that mythology stands yeah. apart. Um, like you know, whimsy is a massive part of mythology. Mm. I was going to say, I know that um, I wanted to talk about my favourite myth, and my favourite myth is the one where Odin transforms himself in a raven as a raven to go off and steal the mead of poetic inspiration, and he brings it back. But as he leaves with it all in his mouth, he's transformed into a, I want to say a crow or a raven, I forget, please don't strike me down. Um, <laughs> but as he, uh, as he flies back with most of it in his mouth, like he accidentally farts out three drops, and the people that that <laughs> landed on they're the, ba- they're the bad poets sadly sad for them um, but I always thought that's, that's you know that's such Amazing. an irreverent you know you really needed an ex- a mythological explanation for you some people are just really really bad at that poetry. is brilliant yeah. I love it I love that so I much do, but I do think there's a little bit of that and I forget what the saying is you know whoever what is it the the hunter glorifies the tale of the hunt or whatever it's basically whoever writes the story Mm. decides which the important parts are right so it's whoever has first started kind of um recording them or you know how the myths were recorded and passed down is how we decided which were myths and which which were folklores i mean one of my favorite um mythologies uh or i guess like it's actually just like kind of like a folktale really but it's seen as mythology part of Somali mythology it's like there's a cannibalistic um goddess named Degder which loosely translated means long ears and 
um, she hunts in the forest for lost children. And there is kind of like a Hansel and Gretel type story of these these two um, twins who try and, and try and escape her. And actually, if you, you know, to this day, I remember my mother telling me this story when, when I was young as a, as a, I don't know why she told me that, actually thinking back on it, it's quite terrifying. Um, but, <laughs> you know, when I, I was older and looking into it, I actually realised well, Somali people are nomadic. And so where these stories told to children to stop them going off and exploring a new local mm. area as we, you know, as we being tribes moved from sort of area to area, or, did, you know, did someone uh, a bit tired or a bit drunk see a hyena and then come up with a bit of a story around the long-eared, you know, <laughs> cannibalistic um, creature that is hunting you? I don't know, but this is kind of this has been passed down to become um, a myth that now, you know, thousands of years later, hundreds of years later, we're we're still kind of kind of learning. But I do I do I do understand how that perhaps in Western culture wouldn't have been seen as a myth that would have been seen as more of a folklore because it hasn't been Mm. it it doesn't have that kind of um, the gods and the kings and the queens aspect of it and and maybe that's yeah maybe that's one part of it as well that if there isn't a god or a or a king or a queen within the story itself then maybe it isn't recognized almost as noble enough to be a myth yeah i know what you mean i think well i think my definition is i feel like fairy tales are specifically aimed at children Folklore is kind of like mythology that doesn't have a through line. Mm. Whereas like a lot of mythology, you have the same characters cropping. But then, but then there are, there are several. No, Mm. scrap that. (laughs) I am. There are some pretty evil fairy tales that maybe are not necessarily that child friendly. I don't think they're... Yeah, but you still tell them to children anyway. I was going to say, I think that they are intended for children, even the very gory ones. So like the original original Brothers Grimm are absolutely intended, I believe, to be morality tales for children. Mm. Yeah. Apparently, um, uh, when they were, from what I understand, I'm sure it was Grimm's Tales, but when they were composing that together or bringing all those stories together, they had... After I think the first revision or or the first time it was released, they had to change a lot of the stories to not be about the mums, but to be about step mums, because mm. they got a lot of feedback that the mums were not not so keen, <laughs> <laughs> like all these stories which talked about how evil the mums were. So, oh no! So oh, yeah, that's really funny. so originally a lot of those step mums were actually just straight up your mum. <laughs> so, that's very funny. And so that's why there are so many like non-existent parents in Disney. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They don't want to be blamed. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that there is really. Maybe the difference between mythology, folklore, and fairy tales is just your amount of snobbery when looking at them. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, John, maybe you were on the money with that. <laughs> I'm sure there's some very erudite academic description which tells us very clearly which oh, is absolutely. which. absolutely. sure that John's actually right. This is probably Anthropology 101. Yeah. Um, yeah. But none of us have studied anthropology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just doing our best. <laughs> um, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back after what I presume will be some ads. Hello everyone. Helen here, who you may know from Rusty Quill Gaming and Enthusiasm. 
Today, I'm here to tell you about We're Alive Descendants, the sequel series to the award-winning audio drama We're Alive. From Casey Wayland and Wayland Productions, We're Alive is a survival horror odyssey spanning six seasons and 13 years. Set 18 years after the original series We're Alive, A Story of Survival, follow the harrowing journey of the next generation of survivors in Descendants as they discover how much of the world has changed how the infected have evolved, and face the conflict sparked by humanity's efforts to reclaim a lost civilization. Join this new generation as they work to make sense of this deadly new world before it consumes them and everything they know and love. We're Alive, Descendants, will bring together narrative threads from the first six seasons, but is also a great place to start for those new to We're Alive, and should appeal to fans of zombie fiction in general. Created and produced by Wayland Productions and executive produced by us here at Rusty Quill, We're Alive Descendants premieres April 5th. Search for We're Alive wherever you listen to your podcasts or visit www.we'realive.com or www.rustyquill.com for more information. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And welcome back. So um, due to my own failings, we started talking about things before um, we came back onto the recording. Um, Becky, you had some interesting things. Well, everyone had some really interesting things to say just then about modern mythmaking and how it affects current politics in terms of, say, for the example I would give is the 2012 Olympics in Stratford 
and how the opening ceremony is seen by many as like a high point of British culture. And all of us who had indeed been around were like, no, 2012 was still quite crap, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a nostalgia for something that happened only 10 years ago. And people seem to want to get back to what they think that was representing. And now there's like a myth around how 2012 was so much better. But actually, I mean, it was a bit better Mm. in some ways, like (laughs) not having a pandemic. But (laughs) we still had lots of problems and people are trying to forget that. Um, Becky, please um, restate some of your thoughts on that for (laughs) the audience who were not there. I will, I will, and I'll contextualise them a bit. So I think a lot of mythology comes from human beings trying to make sense of things that they are frightened of, things mm-hmm. that are uncertain, which is why um, often early myths are so rooted in place, the deep, dark forest, Poseidon and the sea, you know, things which are out of your control, which could manifestly affect your destiny. And I think that, that we mm. see that again and again and again with political movements um, and things like that. And what I wanted to kind of draw out was that myths um, are felt very deeply in human beings. I think all human beings feel myths really deeply. It's almost like the ultimate fan service. You know, like every time somebody (laughs) mentions a myth, you're like, it stirs something inside you. Um, And I think that that is really powerful and it's really important. And there are people out there today who use that for their Mm. own gains. Um, And I'm going to give a a very ancient example so that I don't defend anybody. But I know that one of the ancient kings, I think it was one of the Edwards. I can't remember which one. It was definitely (laughs) not a recent Edward. And I'm talking. We've had so many Edwards. (laughs) We've had a lot of Edwards. It was quite a long ago, Edward. Um, And he worked very hard to associate himself with the more ancient myth of King Arthur for his time, Mm. because King Arthur was seen as this great heroic king, a golden age for Britain. And if he could associate himself with Arthur, then that would make him more popular amongst Mm. the people. And he was very much restating the Arthurian myth, um, making out that he was Arthur's natural successor in very many ways, um, and doing so very, very deliberately to manipulate the population to make him more popular. And I think that we see this time and time again, and not just with the ancient myths, but as you say, Um, We are starting to, particularly in times when we as human beings are feeling uncertain or feeling under threat, mythology has a very powerful pull on us at that point. And we have modern mythologies coming out about those times. And I would say kind of another example uh, to lead on from your 2012 example is the current, I would say quite uh, mythologizing of NHS, the NHS heroes. I want to also mention, because you've just um, talking about Edward and King Arthur, uh, that also that goes even further back to various Roman politicians who would try to claim lineage from Venus. Mm. Um, And I think Caesar also did so, but also made himself a god yeah. In addition. And, and didn't they often like in his own right. Didn't they often reference Romulus and Remus as well when mm. they, they try to link back yes. into them? I suspect yeah. so. Which is a great, it's like one of those great, like how a city was started. Well, two kids raised by wolves. Um, you know, <laughs> And then one of them killed the other one. <laughs> and like what a great statue you've got Hooray. of like, you know, the she-wolf and the, the baby suckling. And you're like, it's quite interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 
there's, there's huge amounts of examples of this. Though. Like I think in America, there is a lot of um, trying to associate ourselves with the founding fathers, isn't mm. there? Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, and and deriving a legitimacy from that, I think in Britain there's a lot of trying to associate yourself with Churchill. Yeah, and deriving legitimacy you know, from that. Maybe you'd write a book about him or something. You know, that would be a way of like, you know, Just spending your yeah, time. Yeah, one one might. Yeah, one yeah. might. <laughs> Figures who I probably should we should probably ca- clarify were hugely complex. <laughs> 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 in the same way that Zeus was. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And in the same way that you said the mythologizing of the NHS, and I think you mentioned, we were talking about this, I think, in the break, it's the mythologizing of the Blitz. I think it was Liz who said that, mm. you know, it was mm. during the war and, you know, we were all in it together. And at the same time, people are mythologizing themselves and their families because often people will say, you know, don't you know my grandfather fought in the war or, you know, my grandfather fought yeah, for your rights. Yeah, yeah. Or... It's about personal lineage. Mm. Exactly. exactly. So I don't think it is just mm. people. Of course, there are individuals who may try to claim a lineage to Churchill or, you know, um, liken themselves to it. But I think actually a large number of people do it on a, on a smaller mm. basis. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's, it's like we've got like... Um, like there's a hierarchy of mythology, like there's a cultural, social one, and then there's, and it goes down to more personal levels, mm. where you have your mm. own narrative, your own story of like your own creation myth for your for your family, for yourself, <laughs> and then you know you build up. Um, but uh, yeah, and most of the time it's um, doesn't involve exciting spiders, sadly. But um, <laughs> we should build that in though. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really useful reminder for us and almost answers a question that we were saying back in the the, the first half. Uh, is it really surprising that there are these commonalities when myths are not handed down on, on uh, tablets of, of marble? They are shaped mm. uh, by audience response. You know, Is it any mm. wonder that people love the same stories of tricksters who always get away with it? It's the same reason no one likes it when Tom gets Jerry. It's, yeah, it's fun. It's something that <laughs> time and time again is shown to be more popular and then the, the myth will change in response to that. Um, one yeah. one Somali myth that I really find fascinating is uh, is the story of uh, Aruelo, who was uh, um, a real life historical queen who seized power through some kind of violence. It was uh, a very big deal. Lots of violence, but like, tons. oh, so much violence! <laughs> but if you read the uh, the mythology around her. You know, in 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 any other circumstance, she ought to be a culture hero. But lots of the folk tales about her are very much revisionist takes, probably written by mm. men trying to make it clear that it must never happen again that a, a, a queen seizes mm. power. So they tell the story of how she castrated every man in the kingdom. Um, somehow, children still keep popping up in the story after that. But um, <laughs> did they do a Daenerys Targaryen on a her? little bit? I, I yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then in these stories, yeah. she becomes the antagonist, almost an ogre figure that the main the heroes mm. are hiding from in the woods and they need to figure out a way to outwit her or overthrow her at every turn mm. when in another circumstance, she should really be the, the protagonist. Yeah. yeah. I actually yeah. think that that's, brings me on to a point where actually myths, the good guys and the bad guys of myths also change depending on how society is changing and mm. moving because in my mother's and my grandmother's um era and this was you know love their cotton socks but you know an era where women were generally a little bit more oppressed and you know a different time a different society they probably would have also um and they did kind of tell the story of Aruela a little bit more 
as in she was the antagonist. But Mm. people our age, you know, my age, millennials and so on, are actually taking ownership of Arawela and it's become something in um, lots of... um, you know, my peers and other people that, you, you know, that you kind of know online and stuff who are calling themselves Arawela point two or as, and so on, because yeah, it's, yeah. it's claiming back something that you may have been told was, was negative, but actually you see the, the positivity in it and the empowerment mm. in it. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me of um, that uh, statue of Medusa. Mm. Yes. If you know it, where Medusa is yeah. carrying Perseus's head. I do because I I follow a lot of sort of Greek and Roman classicists on various social media, and you're absolutely right. There is a reclaiming of particularly feminine uh, mythological villains in a sort of girl boss way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to move us on a little. Um, we've already touched on this, but I want to talk about what our favourite stories like actually are. We've got a lot of we've got a lot of theory and concept down, but let's talk about the weird stuff that happens. Um, so, John, you've mentioned Procrustes, um, the worst bed and breakfast. <laughs> um, does anyone else have a story that immediately springs to mind? I, I have one in terms of like the Greek and Roman. Um, well, I guess it's Greek. Is oh, it can be from any mythology, obviously. Yeah, but but I just I I, I mean I love anything with an animal, but I love um, the Pegasus one because it's I think Bellerophon Bellerophon captures him, mm-hmm. takes him to kill some dragony thing, or or maybe it's a chimera. I can't remember exactly what it is. Uh, but then he's done that, and then of course the the guy thinks he's like super big man boss pants. And it's like, I'm going to ride you to heaven. And as, as they're on their way up, it's like the Pegasus just kicks him off. And then he goes on. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so beautiful. Just like gets booted off by the Pegasus. And then it's like that Pegasus just goes to live off in heaven by itself without this dude who's just being annoying at this point. So <laughs> I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite bits in the Odyssey is when... Um, uh, so Odysse- one of the many times that Odysseus gets shipwrecked, um, they're, I, th- I think one of the first times they're on this island and there are all these sacred cows there that are owned by um, the sun god. Um, I think it's Hyperion. And um, they don't have any food with them. And they're, and Odysseus is like, right, we can't eat these cows because they're like holy cows and um, it'll go badly for us. Um, he gets distracted. He comes back and they've killed some cows and they're eating them. And he's like, oh no, what have you done? And then the dead cows start to like move around and moo from like the pots and stuff. And that's such a bizarre ghost story. (laughs) Um, And then I think like they all get hit by a plague. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, that's Hyper- like Hyperion both cursed the cows and hit them with the plague as punishment. Um, there's so much weird stuff that happens yeah. in the Odyssey, though. It's always the weird stuff is the best. Bit. <laughs> it is. It is. I think the brevity of myths really helps with that because you get something completely bizarre in a single sentence yeah. and then you're just mm-hmm. left with it. You go, oh, yeah. <laughs> the first man, uh, his daughter grew out of his thigh and was born out of the, the open wound. Oh, moving on now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
This guy's daughter just, he had a headache, so he tapped himself on the head and his daughter, like, jumped out in (laughs) armour. That's Zeus and Athena. Um, Becky, you were saying that you quite like uh, Norse myths and from watching Vikings, which I know is extremely accurate. 100%. (laughs) there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about Ragnar Lothbrok and uh, Björn Ironside and Lagatha and various interesting figures from that portion of history I don't know if you know anything about that or because there's some weird stuff that happens there too so I don't know that I I, I am a a lover of Norse mythology um, but mostly from reading the Eddas and things like that. I see, um, I see. And I have to do my usual disclaimer that I think the Norse, Norse mythology has been co-opted by mm. some very bad actors in exactly the same way I was talking about earlier, people trying to associate mm. themselves with myths. And they have um, brought an interpretation to it which is not um, served by the original texts in many mm-hmm. cases. Um, and I think that there's... Um, uh, some of one of my favourite bits of Norse mythology is actually Ragnarok. Mm. Oh. Is the idea that they know the end of the world is coming. They're expecting mm. there's going to be a massive bun fight over it, and that a lot of what Odin does is about trying to find out more about this thing and stop mm. it. And it's just this idea that the gods aren't all powerful. There is something that they're frightened of, and that they're oh. on a mission because. They know a doom is coming. Um, and I always kind of found that quite compelling. Again, kind of feeding back into the our mythologies, just ways that we contextualise our fears and to see mythological characters experiencing, even godlike characters and god characters experiencing that same level of fear. Um, oh. I find really relatable, as I said earlier, and, and compelling. Mm. My favourite myth is actually... Samani and it's it's an insane family right so let me see if I can get this right there's Degder who I've just told you about earlier which is kind of like this boogeyman a cannibalistic Mm. mother with long ears and and her her victims were usually children now Booty is a shape-shifting human creature and who's one of the children of Degder and she actually fell in love with the human race not a particular person but she just thought humans were very kind and very loving and so she risked her life to warn a village that Degder was um was was stalking them and as she was warning them Dekdere became so angry that she cursed her child to be um, a shapeshifter um, with a ravenous cannibalistic um, hunger. Now Booty had given birth to twins and um and five other children and booty ate five children ate five of her children and only the twins survived and so (gasps) they um they ran away um and after they found out that she'd you know eaten their father and their five siblings um and they they ran away and farah so it's Faduma and Farah. Farah um, actually got married um, 
And his sister, um, he lost his sister as they were running away. And while he was waiting for her, he got married. But he waited over 10 years. And at this point, he realized that he couldn't live without his sister. I mean, forget his wife and his children at this point, but he really couldn't live without his sister. And so he prayed to the gods that he would be turned into a tree. And he was turned into a tree. um, And he never found his sister again oh no isn't that insane (laughs) (laughs) that's so sad it's so sad that's so incredibly sad (laughs) yeah i mean you really if you think you've got a a wild family i mean you don't want to be (laughs) part of this family (laughs) yeah none of my family members have ever eaten each other no mine have come close (laughs) but no (laughs) i'm if you're listening mom i'm sorry Yeah, ours was was a family where you know if someone had lost a finger at the dinner table, it was, you know, fair, it would have been fair game for, for not getting it out the way in time. Um, I was going to ask if anyone remembers, because um, that that's reminded me of a similar story where uh, this this old couple um, were very hospitable to Hermes and Zeus, and um, Zeus was like, you can ask like one wish and of us because you know you've been so nice and they said well you know we've lived together we're in love and we have been for for, you know many decades so um we'd like to you know be together forever and so um they died at the same time and both got turned into trees with their branches entwined um and I think that's the nicest Greek Greek mythology that I know (laughs) John looks really unhappy why dear don't you want to be turned into trees? I, I, it's, <laughs> getting turned into trees happens so often in mythology. Uh, and it's, it always feels like a, a little bit of a trick, right? Because the tree is going to get chopped down at some point by the, the onslaught no! of civilization. No. There is no. John, why? There is no, there is no industrial you know, complex in this world. There's only nature and. Birds pooing on you. It's, it's all there. <laughs> Overrated, becoming a tree. You're a tree, you don't mind. (laughs) What you really want to become is a fungus. Like a really, you know, like one of those ones that lives underground and just talks to the trees and just spreads the nutrients around. You're not sentient. Yeah. Yeah, Knows the name of God. But but you, you know, you're pretty... You're basically immortal. Yeah, you're immortal. Yeah, I was about to say, it's really hard to kill you. Yeah, yeah. You basically own an entire forest as long as the forest (laughs) is still standing. We are at the end of the episode. This has been a much more introspective episode than I thought we would get. I thought we'd mostly be talking about, you know, how Hercules has a fat ass. But um, <laughs> I- <laughs> I'm sorry that we didn't actually talk about the the, the bum sizes. But yeah, figure with the best ass. So, you know, if anyone wants to um, chuck one in there. I'm just going to put it out there again, Pegasus. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm going to have to go with what John said earlier before the show started. Zena, she has. Yeah, I mean, great I didn't ass. say that. <laughs> no? Okay, well, I'm saying it. Zena, great ass. All right. <laughs> Thank you all for being on the show. This has been just like. Oh, it's just such a lovely way to spend my time listening to smart people talk about interesting things. Um, listener, I hope you have enjoyed it as well. Um, I will see you on the next episode. But for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. 
And it's goodbye from all of them. Would you all like to say goodbye? Goodbye. Goodbye. Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 4.0 International License. It is directed by Helen Gould, produced by Lori Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing, Tessa Broom, and Catherine Minella. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun, and see you later.